0: You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE.
1: Welcome in, everyone, to the Teak Nation Podcast. My name is Alex Swenson. I am alongside our Chief Executive Officer, Donnie Aldrich. Donnie, good morning. Good morning, Alex. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing especially well because it is uh, 2021 and it's a new year, which means it's a new podcast. So for those of you who have participated and listened to the Teak Nation podcast in the past, uh, we're going to switch things up on you a little bit, hopefully Doesn't hurt your feelings too bad, but we're going to, uh, we're going to bring a little different life, a little different energy into what we're going to do with the podcast in 2021. And that's going to include really Donnie and myself, uh, bringing value to your podcast experience, hopefully by uh, sharing a little bit about what's going on in teak, sharing a little bit about what's going on in the world, uh, what's going on in our lives from time to time and and spending some time with a a teak guest or or maybe a non-teak guest who can shed a little light on a a different topic, bring a different perspective into the conversation. So uh, I'm really excited to get this thing fired up and going and uh, it's going to be Donnie and I that that bring you along for this ride, uh, and, and we're going to look to have one of these out every week. So hopefully it's a, a situation where you can subscribe and tune in and uh, be a part of of this experience that we all have together.
0: Yeah, Alex, I'm really excited in terms of we talk in, as we launch the podcast about our goal is to motivate and energize and also inspire, educate. I just think there's so many different Areas we can go in our conversation. A lot of times, people think, especially Teak Nation podcast, we're just going to talk about Teak. I think this really expands our opportunities, and it, like you said, get to bring in different guests, people who are alumni, but also bring in some collegiate members and, and talk about their experience. What are things going on on the ground? Things going on around the world, and really just look to, to get people excited to share this with their friends and family, and, and grow our our listenership, and have some more interaction between our members and ourselves, and, and all the in the end. The goal is to, to make our members better and make our organization stronger.
1: Yeah. And, and and it also gives an opportunity for you all, the listeners, to bring ideas, bring thoughts. If you have ideas for guests that you'd like to hear from, um, you know, that aren't Terry Bradshaw and, and Mark Benioff, um, those guys are a little difficult to get to. But um, if, if there are unique teaks that you know of that are doing unique things, you know, reach out and, and let us know because that's what this podcast is for, is for you all to to have your voice and and to be heard and um, to get other voices heard as well. Like I said, this podcast would not be uh, nearly what we want it to be if it's just Donnie and myself talking for an hour and a half once a week. So we're, we're going to look to bring in those other voices and, and bring in other people who can, frankly, uh, talk about a lot of things more intelligently than we can. So, uh, with that, show today is uh, is the the very first in this new format. We're gonna walk you through a few different segments that we have planned. We do have a, a special guest planned at the end, um, but we're gonna we're gonna bring you a little bit of uh, the same format in every single podcast that we do. So we're gonna uh as I said, we're gonna talk about some some things going on in the world, what's going on current event wise. Uh Donnie and I are both big sports guys. So uh we'll talk talk about sports in some form or fashion in just about every podcast, I would assume, uh except for like maybe that one week a year where there's no football, baseball, uh, basketball, soccer, or hockey. You will know, we'll have to have to pivot elsewhere in that week. Um we're going to uh we're gonna talk about Teak uh, there's, you know, there's no sense in avoiding that. So, um, talk about what's going on in the fraternity, the, the different things that we have cooking as an organization. Um, we're going to talk to our good friend, Zach Scott every single week. A lot of, you know, Zach, he is our uh, director
0: of growth. Is that right? Donnie director of growth. He is the director of growth. His job is to help get this organization stronger, get more people fired up. You know, the, the best part about bringing Zach in and our where in the world is Zach Scott segment, I will say, Zach is going to be rather stagnant in the state of Florida early on uh, in the where in the world is Zach Scott but he typically is traveling all around the country engaging uh, unbelievably energetic guy and someone who will get you fired up about the fraternity
1: maybe uh, the the segment could just be called where where is Zach zooming today and that would be what part more-
0: of Tampa is Zach in we've had some discussions about you know getting a pub sub at Publix uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure that he goes on a number of walks and hikes uh, on on Random marshes in the the, t- the greater Tampa area. So excited to find out where he is this morning.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm sure he'll be at home. So, uh, TBD. Uh, and then uh, and then each week we will bring you a guest. As I said, our guest this week is our good friend Chef Brian Duffy. Uh, Chef Duffy is going to be joining us. And and you know when we thought about who we wanted to kick this thing off with, he was a really natural choice because he has a really great story. And for those of you who have met. Brian Duffy you know that he's enthusiastic and and full of energy and and full of passion for those of you who haven't met Brian but have maybe seen him on bar rescue or seen him on the food network or on the Today show um you, you get the same vibe on TV as you get in person what we haven't really done with Brian though is is brought him in and just asked him to to tell his story about his career the the world of uh, the professional chef, I think, is is very cutthroat and very demanding and punishing at times. And Brian has uh, managed to come through that world not only very successfully, but very humble and very forgiving and and honest. And so we want to talk to him just about you know the principles that he's stuck to throughout his career and you know, what role. Uh, he is an honorary member. He joined Teak, I believe, in 2017 at Conclave. So um, still new to the organization, but he's certainly given a ton of time and energy to Teak. So excited to have Brian in a little later on. With that, we will dive right in uh, with our uh, with our first, first segment, uh, which is just called What's New. So uh, Donnie, what is new?
0: Well, I think the the biggest thing that's new is something that's 122 years old, which is which is a fraternity. And so, how was how was your Founder's Day? Uh, it was uh, it was
1: really nice to wake up and uh, remember, you know, the founders and, and all they sacrificed and all they gave. And then to also, you know, when we can decide how much we want to get into it, be reminded of the work that we still have to do through some of the uh, activity on on social media yesterday. So it's an interesting contrast, but uh, I did spend Founder's Day with my family. Uh, I did not uh, interact in person with any other teaks on Founder's Day. So shame on me, but it was uh, a nice little Sunday. How was yours?
0: Well, and the last part that you mentioned there was something that struck me. And I was talking to my wife about this, which is that... Typically, we have a grand council meeting, and and we did have a grand council meeting on Friday. We had a virtual grand grand council meeting, but typically we've had a lot of grand council meetings the weekend of Founders Day where the leadership of the fraternity, the grand council, professional staff get together and obviously do the business of the fraternity, but also we typically have a, a, a happy hour somewhere in that local Uh, municipality, wherever it is, we get alumni together, right? There's a great celebration. I even know there's a, on the Founders Day picture that's, that's up on the website, right? That's from a Founders Day event that we had uh, in in the Orlando area. I think it was uh, in 20, yeah, in 2019. Yep. So uh, I started to think about those events and how many times we have all been together, Al, uh, in some of the events that we've been to, both for the international fraternity, but even chapter events, right? Uh, and then you start to think about your collegiate experience and, and some of those events. So just made me very appreciative. I think, uh, something for folks who know us well, just how appreciative we are of the opportunity to serve the fraternity and really the people that we get to meet, the relationships you get to form. That's what I think about, uh, how many people you would never meet if you didn't join this organization, how many places you'd never go experiences you never have. It's, uh, it's something to really be grateful for.
1: Yeah. And, and I want to give a ton of credit to Chris Niles, our director of alumni engagement. He put together a really robust schedule. And once again, if you follow us on social media, if you, you know, keep an eye on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you've seen all the different things that we've had going on where we did our uh, I think it was Teak Thoughts Tuesday and, and asked everyone to share a little bit about their Teak experience. We did the happy hours on Wednesday where we had um, in total, I think uh, more than 90 happy hours that have either taken place or are still scheduled to take place virtually across the country. But um, that's something that really would have been unheard of in person where we always ask people to get together and have these happy hours and maybe 15, 20 alumni associations spend the time to, to put something together. To have 90 of those is, is incredible. And then we did Throwback Thursday. Um, we did some, some fraternity for life virtual ceremonies last night. So really, you know, we use the opportunity that we have where everything's still virtual. We're all still at home to build a, uh, an entire week of Founders Day that we have not done before, which I think is, is really cool and, and something that we can
0: build on in the future. Well, and as we, as we transition when the pandemic finally does lift, right, whenever that day luckily comes, there's, there's aspects of, of adjustments and evolution that we've made as an organization that, that have to continue forward. One, in my opinion, is this Zoom tool, for alumni interactions, because whether it's chapters engaging with their alumni, I know a number of them have had happy hours. This, the the things that we saw on Founders Day, I know again, talking about Chris Niles, he's talked about creating an alumni association, how in the past, right, he would try to get a a small group of people together. He would then possibly travel to that, to that city, state, and, and engage with some of those folks and try to build it. He can now do that through this Zoom tool, yes, We still want to have the in-person interactions as much as we can. That's never going to change. We're a social man's a social being, right? It says in some of our founding documents, but this is a tool that can help to organize us and, and really create a lot of touch points for us to still engage, especially for people that don't live anywhere near each other. So as we talk about some of those relationships and bonds and growing the organization, that's the cool thing. We can still engage with people all across the country, even when the pandemic lifts amidst what will become an even, even crazier schedule between, work and kids and other obligations. Uh, and, and I think, you know, you mentioned a little bit some of the social media interaction and the work that we have to do. I think it's continuing to grow the aspect of we have an international fraternity and that thought process. You know, we, we really, when we come into the fraternity, I know for you and I and, and most people, you know, you really get taught about your chapter and, and those two letters, or if you're lucky enough to be part of a single letter chapter, that one letter, epsilon, chi, whatever it is, theta. And so, you focus on that. And it's really all about that. And we get taught really, you know, it's it's about us and our chapter and and the, the fraternity takes more of a back seat. And that's just, it's so different than the way we're taught as citizens of this country, for instance, right? We're, we're both proud to be from Indiana and live in Indiana, but you're taught to be proud to be an American. And and that's where really you think about, right, is, is I'm, I'm an American and part of this country. As Teeks, many times, you know, we're really about the chapter and it's all about the chapter versus I'm part of this international fraternity. And that's, it's unfortunate because of all the rich experiences again that we've been able to have, and that's sometimes I wish I could transplant, you know, the experiences I've had into someone instantly, so they could see it and then start to grasp just how many opportunities are out there in relationships, in this in this immense organization.
1: Yeah, and I think too people underestimate at times the impact that they can have on the international fraternity. You talked about just thinking about your your local chapter. The problems that you have, the challenges that you face, the successes that you have. And the fact that there are other groups out there facing the same exact things. We saw yesterday where we had some individuals who said, you know, my chapter struggles with this or my chapter doesn't do this well. And other people saying, hey, man, like we have the same issues and this is how we work through it. It's not you know, it's not headquarters fault necessarily that this is a problem. Uh, Although we are, we, when I say we, I mean, the offices of the grand chapter, you know, we have a responsibility to help our chapters work through those issues, certainly. And, and yes, there have been failures on our part in the past as well, but there are a lot of, resources outside of that teak bubble that that so many people live in that they just they don't think about because they haven't been exposed to it through an RLC or leadership academy and you know I I really I'm hopeful that more and more people as we stay connected like this virtually are able to see that and and take advantage of that and and we'll talk about it a little a little later when we get into the teak corner but um that's a big part of what we want to accomplish with the RLCs this year is, is connect people more so than teach people or lecture or instruct, just connect guys from different chapters, collect, connect alumni from, from different parts of the country and and allow them to share their experiences and and share their challenges and how they've worked through them together.
0: When you talked about resources, I think that's, that's our role, right? There's a dual responsibility between, our members, our groups, and the things that they're doing and the international headquarters. And our, our job is to provide resources and be there as coaches and, and be continue to be on the cutting edge of things that we're putting out there for our members to take advantage of. The part that uh, we have to do a better job of and also ask our members to be a, more attuned, as you talked about, is utilizing the resources and knowing them. Because you and I have been part of a lot of those conversations, especially with focus groups or collegiate advisory committee, some of those. And we ask them, what do you want? What do you want to see? What would you like the headquarters to do? And, and many times, and I'm talking more like 60, 70% of the time, they're the things that they are requesting and asking for, we already have created. They already exist. They don't know about them. And so some of that is them seeking that out, seek and you shall find. And also, again, us using the megaphones and the different mediums such as this to, to talk about those things, not trying to beat our chest and say, look at all the, all that we've done for you, but here are the things we want to help. Right. And we want to put you in the best position possible and get you to reach your potential, achieve your, your, your dreams, your goals. Here are things to help make that happen.
1: Shifting gears. We did have four NFL games this weekend. Uh, all of which were pretty disgusting on the eyes. So that was uh, a touch disappointing in the divisional round, but uh it, it's Monday morning. We just wrapped up last night uh, with uh, with the Saints and the Bucks. Uh, had Browns and Chiefs yesterday during the day, and then of course the uh, the Ravens and the Bills and the Packers and the Rams on Saturday. Snap judgments on what happened from the NFL this weekend.
0: Yeah, I thought Frata Rogers. Right, he really that that Packers offense looked really really good. Uh, I was surprised that. Um, I thought that I thought the Rams would, would give them a better game. Uh, also I expected a lot more offense in that Ravens Bills game. I was very surprised that it turned right it was three-3 at the half I believe uh, and then uh, obviously Lamar Jackson goes out and, and Buffalo runs away with that one a little bit. Uh, I thought you, you talked about hard on the eyes I actually thought the Kansas City Cleveland game was a pretty good game. Uh, I think it was going to be a runaway until Mahomes uh, left with concussion symptoms. But um, Cleveland made a little run back in there. Obviously, uh, the the play where he's reaching for the end zone, right, the ball gets knocked out and Cleveland has a touchback or, or Kansas City has a touchback there. I'm interested in your thoughts there. Do you think that's a rule that should be changed because there's a lot of talk right now about it?
1: Yeah, I think like most people, my initial reaction was, what a terrible rule, and, and you go on Twitter or uh, – reddit or or whatever when that happens and you see you know immediately everyone's talking about how it's the worst rule in football worst rule in football worst... I've read a couple opposing takes uh, a couple dissents if you will and I uh, I do agree with this the NFL rule book is tailored to the offense every rule that has been created every uh, adjustment everything has been tailored to to put more points on the board, protect quarterbacks, protect wide receivers, uh, foster a passing, you know, points and, and yards. That's, that's what sells it as we know. So, um, so it would make sense that the rules would, would go to nurture that. So this one rule obviously very much benefits a defense and it's, it's something I'm willing to live with. The other thing too, is, you know, when you, When you get to the end zone, there are different rules about what's a catch and what's possession. And, you know, you stretch the ball across. And and, uh, if you're listening, I'm holding up about a centimeter uh, between my thumb and my index finger. This much of the ball crosses this much of the white paint. Right. And that's a touchdown. And you throw everything else out as soon as that ball crosses the plane. Now you have this rule that yes, there's a fumble and, and yes, everywhere else you fumble out of bounds and you retain possession, but this is a rule that benefits the defense. Uh, the prevailing thought is, is don't fumble. A. Um, I also saw uh, a tweet yesterday that said that Bill Belichick, who uh, is a notable football coach has had some success in the league doesn't allow his players to reach for the goal line because of what just happened, because worst case scenario, you don't reach, you have the ball at the one yard line, best case scenario, you don't reach you score a score touchdown, best case scenario, you do reach you score a score touchdown worst case scenario, you give up possession, you put zero points on the board and the other team has the ball. So uh, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, is, is a reactive play. And and I get you are trying to score, but um you also have to be a little smarter than that. Higgins didn't really ever catch his balance. He was his, his body was out of whack. He was just, if you go back and watch, he kind of stumbled toward the goal. And So not only is he reaching the ball out, but he also doesn't have his control of his body. Um, And it was uh, the, the hit itself should have been penalized. There's no debating that either is crown of the helmet into the, the helmet of the offensive player, but um, I can live with the rule. There's my summary.
0: Yeah. The last game, of the day, uh, Tampa and and the New Orleans saints. And we love you, Mark Romy voice of the saints, but that one I will agree was unbelievably painful to watch. Uh, And as I, as I texted you, uh, and, and obviously we have a Colts bias because that's, that's our favorite team. Uh, I hope that Phillip rivers watched this and said, decided, you know what? It's probably good for me to get down to Alabama and start coaching some high school football because, uh, he had a good year. It's better. I think to go out on that note versus, watching these guys that can barely get the ball down the field 15 yards. Uh, and, and whenever Brady gets the ball down 15, 20 yards, if you watch, he throws these rainbows, right? He doesn't fire it down there. He throws these arching passes. And unfortunately, right now, it's giving enough time for the corner of the safety to come up and, and bat down. I mean, the amount of plays you saw that there was a uh, Mike Evans on a go route. He had him for a touchdown. And he essentially underthrew the ball. And the safety made a great, I mean, made a great play the corner and knocked it away with his left hand, I think it was Lattimore, uh, made a great play, but at the end of the day, I think a different quarterback, a Josh Allen, right, one of those guys, they just kind of fire that thing and let him keep running, which uh, reminds me as well, Josh Allen had to be amped up in that game, because there was four or five balls, especially in the first half, right, where guys were open, down, running a fly route or to post, and he literally overthrew them by five or seven yards, and uh, my wife was literally saying that uh, he is overthrowing everyone, and I know there's some wind in. There's always wind in Bill Stadium, right? But uh, he seemed pretty amped up. He's already got a gun to begin with.
1: Yeah the the whole idea behind, and you see it in sports all the time. Behind, you know, this guy's earned the right to decide when he walks away or retires. Uh, it sounds good to say, and and it's not always easy to to take a guy who's been your quarterback or. It, go to basketball and your, say your point guard or a, a starting pitcher for a baseball team and say, hey, it was time to hang it up or we're going to move on. Um, and sometimes you get burnt, as the Colts did with Peyton Manning, but uh, it also comes back to burn you a lot of times. And yeah, I, I texted you and a couple other people, you know, it's a tie game in the fourth quarter, two of the five best quarterbacks in the history of the league. Uh, and I'm just bored out of my mind. Like, I, it was just... I can't believe that, that there were 50 points scored in that game. So um, yeah, that was, that was rough. I, I mean, the bucks whooped up on the Packers earlier this year, obviously, and uh, that'll be a, a game to watch. And, and we know Tom Brady can play in the cold, but watching him play yesterday in the Superdome with no wind and, and no weather and the velocity is getting on his balls. And, you know, you put a little pressure at his feet and start scrambling. Um, I, I have a really hard time, Seen the the Bucks win that game, but that's why it's not well, played on this podcast.
0: Yeah. I, well, and I tell you, they, they, they had 50 points because the Bucks had four turnovers right. and a lot of them, they got back into uh, saints territory on that or ran it all the way back. And the saints, a lot of their points were either the trick play with Jameis or uh, there were those two really good punt returns uh, that they had. Yeah. And so th- that, that, <laughs> the amount of passing yards they had when they were going in the fourth quarter, right? There were 250 yards combined passing yards. I mean, that is, that's painful. So uh, real quick, before we get into game picks to wrap up this NFL segment, what are your thoughts? The other big story throughout the weekend besides urban Meyer uh, becoming the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars has to be Deshaun Watson and uh, his interest from, from his representatives, at least for him to get out of Houston. What are your thoughts on that mess?
1: I was actually just reading an article this morning about that disaster. A Sports Illustrated article about this Jack Easterby, who uh, was a team chaplain, and then he turned into a character coach, which uh, I guess a good gig if you can get it. Maybe we should, you know, bring on a few character coaches here at the here at the Old Teak Nationals. Um, and then he turned into the VP of Player Development. Now he's kind of the acting GM. Uh, what a, a wild ride that! has been for, for Jack Easterby, but, um, but yeah, it it really seems like Cal McNair, who's the, uh, the owner of, of the Texans has aligned himself with this individual who has not built relationships with JJ Watt and Deshaun Watson and the other people in the building, obviously uh, Andre Johnson, Deandre Hopkins shared their thoughts on him on social media as well. So, uh, it's, it's an interest. I was texting with a couple of my friends about it over the weekend because Deshaun Watson's had some success in Houston. It hasn't been, you know, last year they won a playoff game and he, uh, and, and then you look at the off season they trade Deandre Hopkins. They, uh, they don't have a first round pick for two straight years. They, they make the team worse and then they fire the coach halfway through. So I get it. But, um, But yeah, it 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 must just be really bad. And and you think about it in any other situation, um, you're working in a job and and you're not aligned with the leadership in the the organization. You're not aligned with the board. You're not aligned with your boss. And you have a right to go look for another job and say, I don't want to work here anymore. I'm going to go work elsewhere. You don't really have that right in the NFL. And. Deshaun Watson is effectively saying that's what I'm doing now. So the, the other thing I forgot about until this morning, um, he does have a no trade clause. So he will have to waive that, which means the Texans can't just go out and get what they perceive to be the best deal. If a team like right. the Panthers, right. Throws 12 first round picks in their laps and they say, we want to do this. And Deshaun Watson says, I am going want to play with the Panthers. Then they gotta, they gotta start over. But yeah, I mean, there, there's uh probably one hand's worth of teams in the NFL who shouldn't be going and, and offering their next six drafts to go get to Sean Watson. Um, especially, you know, obviously the Colts are in a position where they're in, in win now mode. And uh, they have a team that, that they could surround him with that would put them in a, a really strong position. And I don't know if the Colts have the capital to get it done, but uh, there are the the Texans could come out of this, okay if they can get a top five draft pick and six more first round picks or whatever the number is. Um, and they're just going to have to rebuild around a new guy and a new coach.
0: Well, we talk about this in the fraternity all the time, right? This is where leadership matters and having people who are uh, sharp on the, in leadership roles, but also people who build relationships to your point, because it's a travesty what they have done between Deshaun Watson DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt, right? I mean, they, they had talent and, and the ability to really build something strong over the last few years. And frankly, even with luck and, and all the success the Colts have had, you know, the, the te- Texans had won, I think, four or five years, won the division. Uh, and so they, they really had a lot of opportunities. And now it looks like it's going to completely go down, go down the drain. And, and I've heard some people, especially around here, say, you know, the Texans would never trade within the division, right? They'd never trade Watson in the division. For any other NFL team, I a thousand percent agree. The Texans seem to be so dysfunctional in the way that they make decisions <laughs> that I I could see it if you if you gave them the right the right package. But I, I don't know, you know, I'd read it as well that it's one of the, the, the least desirable head coaching opening, right? Who who wants yeah. to go in there now and, and be a part of that? There's always people who are looking to get one of those thirty-two spots in the NFL, but uh, it's gonna be a lot of work and, and a well, lot of trust that has to be built.
1: And and I've I've come around on the idea when it comes to sports franchises that more than anything, the team owner dictates the success or the failure of the franchise. You can hire, so it's another good example. It's why I'm not, as a Colts fan, I'm not super concerned about the Jags with Trevor Lawrence because I don't think that their owner, Shaq Khan, is a good football owner. And I. if you have an owner who continually makes bad decisions, Trevor Lawrence may be the greatest NFL quarterback in NFL history, but you still need the right coaching staff. I don't know if that's Urban Meyer. We'll find out. You still need the right GM. You still need the right uh, player personnel guys who are out there making draft picks and signing free agents. And if you don't have an owner who can make the right hires and then stay out of the way, it's the reason – Frankly, the Cowboys have had the most successful roster and Jerry Jones, or not the most successful, one of the most talented rosters. And Jerry Jones just won't get out of the way and let the team operate. And he hires Mike McCarthy, which doesn't look like it was a great hire. They don't have a GM. He's kind of the GM, also his son. So uh, yeah, we're fortunate. Uh, Jim Ursay catches a lot of flack uh, because he's had some some incidents. But Jim Ursay knows enough about football to be dangerous but also knows enough to to let his people get in and do the work, and so um, I just think that ownership aspect is so crucial, and it's why bad franchise. You look at the Knicks, you look at um, uh, you know teams like the the Marlins in baseball. Like the the ownership of the team matters a lot more than we realize. Think, oh, we'll hire a new head coach, we'll hire a new GM, we'll put it right. That's going to put a band aid on it. Everything will be great. We'll get a new quarterback. You got the wrong owner. and and there's there's nobody to the owner has to decide to sell the team so there's he doesn't have a boss then you're in trouble and and i think that that is the case with the texans as well it's just poor management from the very very top and there's no oversight for someone to step in and say hey sell the team hey give up your role give up your your power um so that's why you you I just, I think they're going to keep struggling and you're right. They could absolutely trade them within the division because they've not really done anything right in the last two or three years, uh, from a decision-making standpoint.
0: All right. Game picks who's going to the Super Bowl?
1: So, uh, I already said, I, I have a hard time seeing the Packers lose the game and I will stand by that. I do think it'll be a close game. Um, but I'll go, I'll go green Bay, uh, 27 to 23 and then uh i have two two overarching thoughts from the weekend that relate to this next game the first of those is how if you're the browns do you let chad henny run for 13 and a half yards on third and 14 like how does that happen i just i don't know i know they're a man coverage everyone's back was turning the quarterback they didn't think he was going to take off they only rushed four how do you let that happen? The second overarching thought is the Bills have now looked pretty bad in two straight games. Statistically, they got outplayed by the Colts. They won. Congratulations. Uh, they needed, right, 101-yard pick six plus Lamar getting hurt. Uh, the Ravens were in that game to the end. The Ravens played pretty poorly. Um, all that is to say that I think there's some some fool's gold there with, with the Bills um, as as long as Mahomes plays, I think the Chiefs will win that game, uh, thirty-four to twenty-four. I think they'll win by ten. Um, I just uh, Josh Allen, as you mentioned, has struggled to to be as accurate as he was in the regular season. Uh, their defense has been really good, but I just I, I don't think the Bills are quite there yet. And and they keep winning, and people keep loving on them, but. They have not looked super, super effective to me. Uh, if Mahomes doesn't play, you know, now they have a chance to get to the Super Bowl playing two pretty bad games, and who knows what's going to happen in the Chiefs game. But Mahomes is in. I, I think it's Packers Chiefs in the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, it'll be a rematch of Super Bowl four. I know we both. Uh, I mean, we it's both of, watched. Yeah, one of my favorite Tigers. Super Bowls. Yeah, we both watched it in our entire in entirety when Kansas City won. Uh, Super Bowl four, so I I think that you're gonna 31-24 is my prediction for for the Packers over the Bucks, and if Mahomes is right, which from what it seemed on social media and some of the the replies that he had to folks of I'm all good, uh, I actually think that game could get a little sideways, Uh, and I know that was my prediction with Alabama, right, that they they won big. I, I think the same thing could happen here, Kansas City. Was really on a roll to start that game, coming off a bye, uh, and I just I think they're going to keep getting some rhythm, and they could they could run that thing up, and especially if Allen starts forcing the ball, I think that uh, you're looking 38, 24, you know, a couple maybe a little late score by the Buffalo to get it a little closer, but I could see Kansas City running them out of the building, and uh, should be an amazing Super Bowl if we got Mahomes and and Rogers. I mean, is, is, if the Bills. If the Bills do not make it to the Super Bowl, either way, you're going to have two quarterbacks who are going for multiple Lombardies. Either it's going to be Mahomes going for his second ring, uh, Rogers going for his second ring, or you're going to have uh, you're going to have Brady going for number seven. So it's going to be an awesome, awesome Super Bowl. Yep, yep.
1: I uh, I'm already already looking forward to it. I really, to me, the Packers and the Chiefs are the the two best teams in their conferences. Uh, they have been all year, so that's the Super Bowl that we. Uh, deserve and hopefully it's a super well depending on uh depending on your allegiances from my perspective at this point with with no more dogs in the fight hopefully it's a super bowl we get
0: all right quickly let's keep moving here let's go into college we've got the national championship the Alabama Crimson Tide against the Ohio State Buckeyes what do you think Al?
1: it's just uh I don't think it's logical to pick against Alabama I know Ohio State play, uh played well against Clemson I I don't know how you can look at those two teams and say that Ohio State's going to win. They very well could. Um, but I also think a lot of the reason they beat Clemson is because of their game plan and their preparation. And I don't think that, that Nick Saban is going to allow Alabama to make the same mistakes that Clemson made that allowed Ohio state to win that football game.
0: Yeah. I'm a huge saving guy. Uh, he has elite discipline that he creates as a leader, uh, system, systems that he creates, and uh, which then makes me a huge Bama guy. So uh, definitely rooting for Bama. And, and actually, I don't know that this game is going to be close. Everybody else is on the other side because Fields had an amazing game against Clemson. I think that uh, from everything you saw – Ohio State had the Clemson score in their locker room all offseason, right? All they were thinking about was taking down Clemson. I feel like they put all their chips, all their energy, everything into taking down Clemson, and they did a hell of a job. They played a great game, fields threw it all over the yard. Some of those throws, those rainbow deep balls are going to get him drafted probably second by somebody, uh, at least in the top five. But I think tonight uh, they are going to get the wood put to him. I just think that... You're going to see a lot of Najee Harris. You're going to see a lot of Devonte Smith and why he won the Heisman.
1: Yeah. I and don't know. I don't know if Jalen Waddle's playing, but that's uh, and, and by the way, by the time this podcast is aired, this game will have been completed. So uh, you'll, you'll get to listen and decide if uh, we're geniuses or, or idiots. Exactly. Yeah. That that's exactly right. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm sad that college football is coming to an end that will uh, Really odd season that we all just endured. With uh, you know, some teams when you looked at to the top twenty-five after week seven or week eight, there were some teams that were six and two, and some teams that were you know three and one. So uh, that was I I don't know how to how to sum up the college football season other than just just chaos. But uh, at least. At least we got college football this year.
0: Yeah, I will say if if we had this podcast in May or June, what we thought the odds were that we were going to have a college football season, that we thought we were going to have an NFL season, I think we would have said they were pretty low. And and uh, both institutions should be applauded, the NCAA and the NFL, for finding a way to get to this place and to have a season, just based off the entertainment value and the things that it's done. While many of us have been cooped up in our houses or in our communities, uh, to be able to continue to to have sports has been a great thing. All right, let's keep
1: her moving here. Uh, wanna get to uh, now what we're calling the rule of three segment. And the rule of three uh, is this, if you are a member of Tall Cap Epsilon, uh, you have to do everything in threes because of the triangle and because of all the symbolism. And we just we love that number antique, and so we thought we would incorporate it right into the podcast. So every week we will bring you a different uh, rule of three, which is uh, Donnie and I going back and forth with three different things on the topic that we choose. So uh, given the timeliness of of this podcast, with it being January, still uh, wanted to go and and. Give us both a chance to share three goals that we have for 2021, and I also think it gives Donnie an opportunity to share his thoughts around New Year's resolutions, which is uh, which is always a good idea. So I'll let you
0: uh, let you kick it off, Don,
1: with uh, with your your first goal for 2021.
0: Yeah, first goal for 2021 is is to continue to improve as a leader, uh, and and that obviously means continuing to read, continue to study. Uh, continue to engage with with people at, at every, you know, every constituency that you can. I think that helps you gain perspective. I think too many times people in positions, uh, platforms like I have, right, they only want to talk to other CEOs. They only want to talk to other people who are, quote unquote, at their level, where I think the more that you can engage with people um, who are on the ground, the more you can engage with people who are, who are doing the work, volunteers. That's the, Those are the people that are going to help grow your perspective and make you better. But also, yes, you should be reading and studying and learning from some of the elite people in every single industry, uh, p- folks who have reached the top of their craft. And so goal one, become a better leader.
1: Yeah, that uh, that's actually a perfect lead-in for, for my number one, which is coincidentally to listen to more podcasts around that very topic. Uh, I spent a lot of time during the fantasy football season listening to fantasy football podcasts that time's wide open now. So uh, whether it's in the car or going for a little jog, um, pulling up some some really good leadership content just around uh, mindset and, and habits and work ethic. And there's, there's unlimited uh, sources out there for leadership development, some better than others, as we know, just because uh, somebody successful in, in life doesn't necessarily mean they're qualified to give their thoughts on leadership. But, um, you know, my goal is to find the right ones, the right voices to listen to, and, and to do that a little more often than I did in 2020.
0: Number two. Goal two is to grow both in speaking skills as well as writing skills, and, and especially on the writing to do it more frequently. That's something that uh, through the Life Lotique Insider newsletter, something we've had a a letter come out every six to eight weeks for folks that contribute back to the fraternity at a certain level. They get a little inside, behind the scenes, things that are going on in the fraternity, things that have happened, things that are going to happen. I want to continue to grow and expand that out to our, to our membership. I want to reach out to more folks and inspire them to consider contributing to the fraternity. We talk about resources and things that we need, tools to, to make the fraternity better and to improve people's lives and experiences. So really want to step in even further and be a stronger speaker and, and a better writer.
1: Yeah, my second goal is is related to the growth of the fraternity, and and that is to outperform in, in our second semester from a membership standpoint what we did second semester last year, uh, second semester in the nineteen twenty school year. Those of you who are part of that will recall that it was absolute madness. The world shut down in early to mid March. Um, you know, our our chapters really through no fault of their own, in a lot of cases. Couldn't recruit, uh, couldn't bring in new members, struggled with what virtual recruitment looks like and virtual initiations. Um, and, and we have a lot of room to grow based on what we did in first semester as well. So uh, I have a, a role to play in how our chapters are recruiting and, and growing and developing and initiating their members. And, and my goal is to, to outperform what we did in the uh, January to May timeframe of 2020. And, and finally, number three,
0: and number three is wanting to see the fraternity grow as you, as you mentioned, also in growing our amount of volunteers, growing our amount of folks who contribute, growing our alumni associations, right? Every single area that we want to grow in. So how those three things can play together. If I can do my job and being a better leader, if I can do my job in inspiring and educating in a better fashion through through writing, through the through spoken word, right? To be able to achieve the goal of, of putting the fraternity in a better position, obviously, there's benefits that come to that all across the board for both our chapters, for our staff, for ourselves individually. So I know that that may be some big, large, esoteric thing, Al, and, and we'll get deeper into this. And some folks have probably heard the podcast I've done on mentality and all that, right? That all comes from habits and rituals and things that we do to get to that point. But that is the goal. That is the vision. How do we expand this thing and make it much bigger? How do we get people thinking bigger versus just their local chapter and 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 that community, which many times is unbelievably rich, you know, in terms of the experience and the relationships, how do we get at that expanded? I, I know we can do that and we can get there. We've got to get more people thinking that way and at least considering it. If they just say it's possible, we're off to the races
1: my uh my third goal is is twofold it is related to the uh personal, personal fitness avenue and unlike uh, i think the trap that many people fall into i'm not just going to say my goal for 2021 is to be healthier or lose weight because those are 10,000 foot goals that Will fail without any semblance of a plan to achieve them. So my goal, uh, my fitness goals are to do 100 push-ups a day every single day. And uh, I admitted we we did a little exercise like this with the staff last week, admitted that I, uh, on day two of 2021, uh, laid in bed and realized that I only hit 50 that day and forgot and uh, to my discredit instead of jumping out of bed and doing 50 i just went to sleep so uh, i missed a few days but uh but i'm gonna keep pushing through and, and trying to hit that 100 push-up mark i'm not just gonna give up if i uh if i you know only hit 50 or 75 um and then my other goal is to run uh, 1000 miles in 2021 so i'm uh, gonna try and hit at least 20 miles a week understanding some weeks i'll hit more some weeks i'll probably uh not hit twenty, but if I average out twenty miles a week, you can do some quick math there, and uh, find that a thousand is certainly attainable. So between those two things, hopefully, it'll improve my overall physical
0: health, mental health, emotional health, and uh, we'll have a good year. Well, that's awesome. And you you mentioned resolutions, and my thought on resolutions with which people have been entertained by over the years. I just I think that they're ridiculous. Uh, I think that. The, the thought of resolutions, unfortunately, it's put in the thought process at the beginning that it's something that I'll try. It's not something that's necessarily going to happen, right? And you can always go back and say, oh, uh, I'll just get a new resolution next year. Or if you haven't achieved it by February, right? It's, it's almost as if you haven't, if you fall off the wagon a little bit, right, in terms of your resolution, I'll just wait till next year versus why not start up on June 3rd or, you know, March 8th or whatever the day is that I, today's the day I'm going to change my life and change my rituals and change the things I'm doing. And, focus on this. I just think January one has been set as arbitrary date where people set up goals that they don't even believe many times. And they don't unfortunately put the, put the systems and the structure and the pieces behind it to make it happen. Right. It's like, I'm going to start doing this. And then it's very easy when you're, you're putting in something new to fall behind on it and then start to tell yourself, right. There's all these other reasons and you don't have time. And there's a whole psychological thing we could go down there that I, I think just sets people up to fail the mentality of it. So, um, I, I hope that for people, they think in this terms of goals and, and continue to recalibrate those goals. You know, you might, Al, you might, we might be talking in September, October, you've already hit a thousand, right? You got to recalibrate the goal. You don't sit on your, on your can for, for 90 more days till the end of the year to reset your goal. So um, I, I think always, if you set the goal exceedingly high, you know, you're going to be in the best position possible. And you might, you might surprise or scare yourself at what you can do.
1: I think uh, there's there's a lot of money in, in the idea that we could automate some sort of resolution bot that you could go onto a website and type your resolution and then you get asked follow-up questions. Uh, because that's, I think where people fail is the whole, Oh, you know, I'm going to lose weight. Okay. How, you know, what habits are you going to change to lose weight? Oh, I want to eat healthier. Okay. How are you, are you going to eat two salads a week instead of a burger? Are you going to, you know, eat a healthier breakfast every instead of eggs and bacon every day? You're going to eat, uh, you know, uh, a banana smoothie. Uh, I, those are the questions that, that need to be asked. You, you could eat, I said a, a thousand miles a year, 20 miles a week. You could even push me and break that. Okay. How are you going to hit 20 miles a week? Are you going to do three miles every single day? Are you going to do two big runs? Are you going to go out on a Tuesday morning and run 20 miles every single like you have to continue to break things down. So I think it's all about the follow-up. And if you are someone who's trying to lose weight or trying to eat health, you're trying to become a better leader, whatever that resolution is, for you, you know, ask yourself those follow-up questions and and push if no one else is gonna push you, push yourself to build a plan and change habits that are going to allow you to, to hit those goals.
0: Yeah, I think times too, people people give them, put themselves on unrealistic expectations, right? That I've not been eating the way I want to. And then come this date, right on January 1st, I'm gonna completely shift it. You want to find a, what's a meal every two days, right? Or a meal, you know, two meals and every three days, whatever that is, that you want to eat healthier and work your way toward it and work your way towards those better habits versus, you know, I'm just, I'm all of a sudden going to just shift. That's very, very difficult uh, for Pete, for anyone to do. So what are steps you can take and that climb, that journey towards where you're trying to go?
1: Yep. All right. That was our, uh, our very first rule of three segment excited to see what we cook up next week, because, uh, as we sit here today, I have no idea. So, um, it'll be, uh, it'll be a fun exercise to, uh, to figure out, you know, what Donnie and I want to talk about next Monday couple more things here before we get into our guests. Um, just one more thing, actually, and that is our Teak Corner. So we, we promised we would talk about Teak. We did already a little bit with, with Founders Day. But uh, Donnie, from your standpoint as the CEO, what are you focused on organizationally and, and where should our members' minds be as it relates to the fraternity uh, for the next week?
0: Uh, really around RLC. RLCs are coming up, get registered. There is no additional costs to to be registered uh, in terms of going to RLC. We'll say this, there is an expectation that you have either paid your collegiate fees or that you're on a payment plan. And the thought process there is we're not charging an additional fee to go to the RLC as we typically do. We're holding a hotel and all the, the costs that go with the event. We're, we're, essentially saying you're investing in the fraternity as a paid member of the organization. We want to give you this resource without additional costs. So we do ask that you are paid up on a payment plan, but that educational experience we know for so many people can, can in some ways be life-changing life altering, but also it just really, really gets that perspective. You're going to have an opportunity to engage with different folks from within the fraternity in terms of other chapters, some of your peer to peers learning, but you're also going to get a chance. We're going to have special guests. We're going to have professionals, uh, from Fired Up. We've got all sorts of, of alumni who've been extremely successful in their life who want to come and share a little bit of why they've been successful. And and the piece in there is what are nuggets and, and things that you can take? I think a lot of times people go into a session, they think the person is just going to for 45 minutes outright, they're going to give them nothing but, but gold. The truth is, no matter who the speaker is, there's parts that you're going to take and you're going to dispel and there's things you're going to take and, and you're going to run with. And so that's why you got to stay engaged the whole time. We ask people to take notes, but Anytime we have an educational event, I get fired up, especially because that's going to make you better. It's going to make us better. Uh, there's always something to be learned there. So I'm excited about RLC and, and that going into recruitment. You know, We've really got to crush it this second semester. A lot of campuses have deferred. Uh, you know, Studies show 21.8% less students who graduated high school moved on to college this year. So we have less students out there. Obviously, it's a it's a unique environment, but to me, it's also a tremendous opportunity. Folks are looking for that social interaction, that engagement, and people, no doubt, want to get better. So what are we doing to help make people's lives better? How are we creating experiences that that bring in, cultivate, and excite people to want to be part of the greatest fraternity on the planet?
1: Yeah, and, and I think it's important to note that these RLCs were really created as a direct result of, of everything that we've heard in first semester. And even going back to second semester last year, I already talked about the challenges that second semester of, of 1920 brought on and, and how some of that spilled. you know, I think there were things that we adjusted and did did better in the first semester of this school year because of the experience that, that everyone went through in the spring of, of 20 or yeah, the spring of 2020, um, but it wasn't perfect, and so as we crafted these programs and came up with the workshops and the content, it was all in direct response to the questions that our members asked, to the, the challenges that they faced, to the problems. As our staff went out and had virtual meetings and, and check-ins and conversations with officers, the things that came up time and time again, those are the issues that we are attacking with the RLCs. It's The RLC, in, in general, a normal RLC, You know, we try and touch on 20 different topics with breakouts and workshops and all that. This is really uh, how the heck do we move forward in this COVID era? And then how do we move forward once we're out of it? So uh, it is, it's It's going to be unlike any RLC experience that that anyone's had because A, it's virtual, obviously. Um, B, it's broken up into three different days uh, as opposed to just come to a hotel for a weekend and spend... 36 hours, and then you're done. But then also, I think the content is is going to really speak directly to what's going on in chapters and and in universities right now. Um, and then the other thing that I would draw attention to is our, our Fired Up recruitment training certification. Um, the program that Fired Up has put together for us where you can go and become a certified Fired Up recruiter. Um, that is available uh, on our website, on Fired Up's website. there's uh, There's information out there. If you are seeking it, please reach out if you don't know where to find it. But um, I know our staff members have done a really good job putting them in the group mees, putting them um, again on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, and that's an opportunity once again to get ahead of the recruitment game. So if you are an undergraduate member and you haven't done the fired up certification, it's two hours of your life that's going to put you in position to make a very long-term impact on your chapter or colony from a growth standpoint. And that investment, it's a $0 investment on your part. It's a two-hour investment. And I think the return on that investment will far exceed uh, almost anything that that we do as a fraternity, in my opinion. It, you know, Outside of maybe Leadership Academy and, and RLCs, investing two hours of your time to, to maybe get another four, five,
0: ten guys in your chapter, that's a no-brainer for me. Well, and the key on all these events and happenings that are going on is to come in – with the mindset of being resourceful, right? Coming in a resourceful state, it's really arrogant for any of us to come in and think that we have it worse than every single other person and every single other group going on out there, right? Everybody is dealing with challenges. Those challenges have uh, different levels to them and also different barriers to them. But coming into this with the mindset of, I want to find a solution, right, for our group to grow. I want to find a solution around the restrictions that the university has. I want to find Solutions and how we can be more resourceful in getting more alumni engaged or, or growing uh, our financial resources or growing our membership or right, whatever that is. We, we want to have more brotherhood events once the pandemic lifts. Okay, starting to build out what that looks like. There's all sorts of goals and dreams and things that we want to attain, but got to go into the mindset not of all the challenges that are there, even though they're still there. We're not trying to, to completely wash them away, but how can I be resourceful in finding solutions? If you have that mindset walking in, I think you're going to be surprised the amount of people who want to give you thoughts, push you, drive you, and challenge you to to ways that you can make those things become a reality. We will shift gears now and
1: bring in our good friend, Zachary Scott. Uh, Zach, as I mentioned earlier, is the Director of Growth, and we're just going to ask him every week to to come in and share a little bit about what he has going on, what chapters he's working with, what part of the country he's in, Tampa, and uh and you know maybe a, a restaurant or a brewery recommendation while he's at it so uh, we will welcome in zach right now so zach uh we want to bring you in because we know that you are a a world traveler when it comes to teak and uh love going to impact different chapters and and help grow the fraternity. fraternity. So uh, if you could just share a little bit with us uh, on this initial new version of the Teak Nation podcast about what your goals are for this year and your position. And then uh, where are you right now? And and what are you working on?
2: Yeah, currently in the world, uh, I'm in Brandon, Florida. It's just outside of Tampa where I grew up. Um, And my goals for the year are to try and help the groups that didn't necessarily um, take maybe some of the advice that we had given, didn't know exactly how to input the advice that was given um, and some that just kind of got dealt a, a pretty crappy hand to be honest. So grabbing those groups that brought in zero to maybe four or five guys in the spring or in the fall time and finding ways to either double up the numbers that they got, try and salvage what we can. And then for some of these other groups that normally are very high recruiting deferred campuses, get them back to where they normally would be 15, 20, 25 guys. Um, some of those schools like the Wash U's, the Loyola's um, working with whatever their, their latest updates on their campus are and finding ways to, to fu- pull out some success, especially as things are starting to change, I think for the better, um, just around the world.
1: When do you think you're going to get out of Tampa, Florida? When is, is there uh, is there a light at the end of the tunnel for your travel schedule?
2: You know, I actually, I, I have my, my self-review coming up with uh, my, my supervisor. So that'll be a pretty good question to, to squeak in there, I guess. Um, and maybe the next time we, we catch up, I'll, I'll have an update. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. I actually was talking to good old Froder Kimball, who's a, a fan of the podcast, of course, and uh, maybe come out to help SLU and, and WashU if, if they uh, can get back to, to being on their campus and being able to recruit at, at WashU. Um, because we've got some some big things coming out of St. Louis University. And those guys have been really busting their ass um, building up a names list. So that's, that's the one that I've got on the kind of on the horizon, but it'll all come down to the approval from uh, Brett and of course, Frater Donnie, who's on the podcast as well. Can't forget that.
0: So Zach, what are what are one or two quick tips that you would give you've been talking about throughout the fall and the pandemic? Uh, the way that we recruit virtually, especially some of our alumni that are listening to the podcast, volunteers, right? What are a couple of tips you have to engage with folks or get them to consider to deliver in this challenging time?
2: Yeah, I think the biggest one, and we spent a lot of time as a team talking about this is the accountability. Find ways to utilize the people around you to hold yourself and hold your members accountable. Talk about the volunteer teams using the staff person that is your like, go-to contact or whatever you see the emails right now. Obviously, if, if you're in the fraternity, you probably are getting an email from Chris Niles, um, even utilizing that relationship, finding ways to tap in, um, but especially those volunteers that are right there, your chapter advisors, your BOA members, um, the recent graduates, use those people to set that accountability. Hey, I need you to make sure that we get this done, right? I need to have XYZ submitted by next Friday. Um, and build that accountability for yourself, right? If you're a preakness, if you recruitment chairman, and have that bleed into your own leadership style, right? For the other exec members and the other chapter members below you, in a sense, if you're managing that recruitment effort. I, I would say maybe another piece is contact and talk to as many people as you can. That's one that we, we are constantly pushing is build relationships. And that comes from either sending out DMs, It comes from utilizing contact lists that your IFC or university puts together for you. Join organizations and clubs. This year has been, um, this last year has been the best time if you've been looking and holding out on joining another organization, another club. That was, this has been your moment. And I would say even into this next semester, but you need to join things. You need to find new people. You need to stop being scared of sending DMs or random texts or picking up the phone and calling people on your contact list. And uh, make sure that when you're organizing these lists, right, have a main database where you can put them all together, build that thing over 100, 200, 300, um, because it's all, it all comes down to 10 to 20% of those people if you're doing it right.
1: Beautiful. Well, we, we appreciate the advice, appreciate the check-in. Uh, hopefully you can you know, leave your, your parents' basement at some point in the next uh, six months. Even if it is just to go to St. Louis and and hang out with uh, with Frater Kimball. Um, congratulations on the win on Saturday. Good win for the Bucks. Tough loss for your Raptors last night. Um, so
2: kind <laughs> of balance. A lot of losses for the Tampa Bay Raptors. That's all right. They'll, they'll
1: get there. Maybe that uh, maybe that shift down south They're just they're still trying to acclimate to the weather
2: pretty tough
1: be. all right well we appreciate it zach we will check in with you next week and uh if you need anything from zach feel free to reach out to him Z Scott at tke.org we'll talk to you soon my friend awesome. Thanks, zach have a great one so we uh a little flavor there on on what we can expect from zach week in and week out even if he's not traveling or, or on the road still very very valuable recruitment advice um he's one of the best that we have if not the best in the fraternity in terms of growth and and development and how to build your membership numbers so we will continue to engage him and make sure that he is sharing the most up-to-date information with you all
0: yeah i feel like he didn't come too high or too hard as i expected he would so he's just starting to he's loosening people up in this where is zach scott segment
1: dip your toe in the water just you know get a sense for the temp and then decide if you want to jump in or or take the stairs. No shame in either direction. All right. Last piece here. And it's a big one. We're going to get into our guest profile with frauder, Brian Duffy. Uh, Chef Duffy is, is again, a friend of the fraternity, someone who has come to conclaves RLCs and, and really done a lot in his short time as a part of Talk Kappa Epsilon. So excited to bring him in and talk to him and we will go to Froder Duffy right now. Brian, before we get to anything else, I think the world is waiting to know on your reaction to uh, Doug Peterson's firing and just the general uh, calamity that was the Philadelphia Eagles 2020 football season. <laughs>
3: You know, I have a saying in kitchens uh, that I I try to explain to people that if I am a doctor and 50% of my patients die, I kind of suck as a doctor. (laughs) If I'm a cab driver and you tell me that you want me to drop you off at 54th and 5th in New York City and I drop you off at 53rd and 4th, I kind of suck as a cab driver. So... To apply it to a kitchen, if I'm a cook and I give you a burger that has to be cooked and you can't get the temp right, you kind of suck as
0: a cook. So if I'm a coach and I can't win a game, I kind of suck as a coach. Yeah this this interview is really going to play well in the Northeast. I feel real good about that demo. This is this is phenomenal. I mean, I, you know, I mean it's just that simple. Look, I would
3: love for the Eagles to go all the way every single year. Uh, you know, I mean, I made fun of uh, of um, Uh, What's that guy's name? Brady, Tom Brady. You know, I made fun of him when he left, uh, when he left New England and I thought he's going to go down to Tampa, you know, he's going to kind of shit the bed a little bit. Now look at the guy. I mean, it's like, you know, he's just, he is as good as he is. So we had a couple of good years. We had some fun. Uh, It was awesome being involved in a, in a city that had won a Super Bowl, especially after all the years that we had gone without doing something like that, the camaraderie, um, the friendships, the uh, the joy that was felt through this entire city was just absolutely awesome. Uh, I'd love to feel it again.
1: Well, I think that's that's part of the issue as a Philadelphia sports fan is you let yourself feel
3: joy and then it just all <laughs> just all collapse for you. I mean, like we, we we really we just have a lot of fun. I mean, if there's not some form of like last minute play to bring it to the wire then then it's just really not a game for us whether it be stanley cup whether it be world series whether it be super bowl whether it be who knows what it is you know i mean it's just makes us who we are that's right we're the broad street bullies for god's sakes
1: Now that uh, now that we we covered that ground, uh, do appreciate you joining us here, Brian. And um, you know, my, our, our goals here today, as as we've talked to you about, are just to get a little bit of insight into to your career and not only how you have continued to succeed and thrive throughout COVID, but um, throughout the last several decades. And um, and obviously having you as a part of the Teak family has been a, a huge uh, a huge part of our success and, and being able to engage you and, and keep you involved. So I uh, appreciate you being with us. The first thing that I, I just want to ask you is for those out there listening who might not be familiar with how you found the fraternity and how you became a part of Talk Cap Epsilon, can you just shed a little light on that?
3: Sure. So um, a, a good friend of mine, Brad Bohannon, uh, had reached out to me and said, basically, do you want to be in a fraternity? And I thought, you know what, at that point, I think I was 46 years old, maybe 45. And I thought, you know, I, I didn't have a normal college experience. I mean, I went to college. I, um, I I enjoyed college. I had a lot of fun. I didn't love it. So I actually ended up quitting and going to culinary school. Um, and, and so for me, it was like, you know, I wanted to do a little bit of research. You told me all about Teak and, and what it was and um, what the background was. And I thought I'm going to New Orleans and I'm going to drink with a bunch of college kids. Like I'm just going to hang out at a conclave with a whole bunch of really cool college kids. And then the next thing, you know, I'm being whisked away into a secret room and I'm being taught. Like I realized at that moment that it, it was more than just, I, I don't want to use this word lightly. Like I, I, I saw it as much more than just a novelty. You know, I thought I'm going to be inducted into a fraternity. That sounds awesome. And I kind of played it that way. And then when I sat in that room and I started to listen to what Teak was about, I was like, this is some real stuff. Like I was really, I I, kind of had a moment. I'm not going to lie. Like I really thought it was pretty awesome. And I, and I, I realized at that moment that it wasn't uh, just, it wasn't a novelty. I now had a responsibility and, and I owe it to myself and I owe it to Brad who brought me on board and I owe it to Teak to, to keep that responsibility moving forward. So I don't know if that's the answer you expected. <laughs> that's, that's, but, that's
1: that's even better than the answer I, that, exactly. I, uh, that I was hoping I mean,
3: for. I, I sat on that platform in a, a suit because Brad was like, you got to bring a suit with you. And I'm like, <laughs> man, I'm a chef. I live in a chef jacket and jeans all the time. Uh, I tied that bow tie as I walked out of my hotel room and, and came down and I sat up there and, there are uh, there are a series of very proud moments that I have in my life that I can probably
0: count on one, maybe two hands, uh, and that was one of them. What was the experience like, Brian, after you got initiated and, and what the rest of the week? Because that happens, for folks who don't know, that happened very early in the event, right? You have the rest of the Conclave yeah. event, two or three more days. What was the rest of that event like once you crossed that magical barrier of now I am a member? I mean, you know I think after
3: after being involved in that and then getting to walk around and, and communicate with people and, and shake hands, something we don't get to do much anymore. Um, but those mom- it was really a great moment. I mean, I got to meet some unbelievable people, whether it was some of the other um, the other frauders that were involved or, uh, you know, I mean, even just having a conversation with Brad and, and meeting Alex and, and going through a lot of that stuff and then going out a little bit later when we had gone over to Brad's place at Spirits and, and, and interacting with all the guys, you know, interacting with who are now my brothers. I mean, these are guys that, you know, through a bond uh, that I now had, and there was just a really, it was a really neat experience to have conversations with some of these younger guys that I normally
0: don't deal with unless they're in one of my kitchens. <laughs> well, that's the thing for, for all of the honorary initiates that we have had come through. I think what always rings true is they become a member and they hear about it like you talked about, right? They go through that experience and then all of a sudden everybody starts treating them like family. And that just, yeah. you know, how someone who they didn't know four hours ago now walks in a ballroom or walks in right in a chapter house, whatever it is, and all of a sudden you're part of the family, you got a seat at the table and you're treated like you've been here for for 25 years. It's one of the things that I love about the organization is is how we treat people like family.
3: Yeah, I agree. I, I feel that across the board and you know i mean i'm i, I uh even now i have you know it, all my live videos that i do from my kitchen and stuff like that there are a few people that catch what is in the background um which is a license plate that i have that says i am teak and every now and then somebody grabs it and sees it and it's kind of nice to get a message that comes through oh my god i didn't know and um you know and, and i'm lucky enough to be able to travel all over the country so uh you know if i can or if i'm on a college campus or something like that if there's a teak event there i usually reach out to you guys ahead of time or i mean i really try to stay as involved as i can in this really really weird world that i live in of constant travel and work and all that stuff so um it's it's a neat experience for me still is to this day and it was i guess four years ago now four i don't know where my 27
1: i, had, I think I 2017 right
3: yeah so yeah i have my uh I've just cleaned off my walls, but I have my uh, my my certificate. Good yeah, good deal.
1: That's that, I mean that's and that I always, wearing, and I wear
3: my pin. I wear my pin. Oh yeah, all the time. Oh yeah, you know it's in my little dob kit, and every time I've got to get dressed up, it's on there. And I've actually stopped before and been like, "Hold on, I got to go back upstairs." You know, I got to go <laughs> grab it. So it, it's kind of funny. There's just there's a comforting feeling of that. You know, so.
1: And, yeah. and I mean, so many people join the fraternity and and don't feel that way. Even whether they join in college or whether they join, there's uh, Brian's holding up his tea guide there. If if you're listening, right on my desk, man. Um, right just, next uh, to a me. little a little light reading on a on a Tuesday <laughs> afternoon. Um, maybe you know, maybe you could find your way into the tea guide someday, Brian. Um, I would love to, but. Uh, I, Back to the, the earlier point is, is you know, the connection you feel to the fraternity. It's it's because you've taken the time to put in to the fraternity and get to know people. It, it wasn't just something that you did once and, wow, right. yeah, sure, a couple days in New Orleans, great, got to hang out with my friend Brad. You you do reach out and ask if we have uh, uh, chapters on certain campuses or you're going to be in a city or uh, you continue to, to be a part of our, our podcast and our videos. And so uh, it's a good a good lesson in the whole experience is, is you do get out of it, what you put into it. And if you're committed to building relationships and building that affinity for Teak, it'll, it'll pay you back pretty, pretty quickly. Right.
3: I agree. I absolutely do. I mean, even little stuff like support that I've had from you guys on whether it be, you know, a show that I'm airing or, um, you know, you guys are always saying, Hey, look, we're, you know, we're doing a a, a a building, the leadership building that you guys do, you know, can you be involved? Can you make it down here for a day? Can you do this? And I, I try, I mean, I, I right. love the one that we did in Atlanta and and the fact that I got to stand up and speak in front of everybody. And then I sat into some of the other forums. Who's the general, uh, the gentleman, who's the general or the. Uh, Waitington. Uh, I mean, general come on, yeah. how, how, how could you not walk away from meeting a man like that and, and not feel something, whether it be of pride of what you're involved in or pride of what you've done in your life or pride of things that you're going to do in your future? I mean, those are, those things, those are things that I talk about and I take away from it. I mean, to stand up there and have a bunch of, of guys ask me questions or me to talk about what it is that I've done in my life is a really, really neat thing. And then to have somebody who listens to that, and then is able to come up and have an educated conversation with you about it or, or try to incorporate what I've done in my life in a way that they can try to be successful is, is, a, is a huge accomplishment for me.
0: Well, and that's a great lead in to, to our next question, which is you're in a highly competitive field, right, uh, in the culinary field. And obviously, uh, I'd say probably, you know, six, eight, ten years ago, and you can probably tell us, educate us even more so, when, when a lot of these cooking competition shows and these types of, right, really took off. Uh, But I'm, I'm guessing there are thousands upon thousands of chefs that want to be on some of these shows. Can you talk about the culinary field you, you, you mentioned, you know, in college, you decided this wasn't for me and went into the culinary field. What spurred that, but also just your journey in, into becoming what you have become and the work that you've done to get there. Cause I think a lot of folks think, you know, you can become an overnight success and I'm sure there's a lot of work that's gotten into being at this point in your life.
3: I mean, I, people ask me all the time, like, what was it like? You know, when did you make that decision? And, and, and how did you get to the point where you are? And it is, I mean, it was a lot of work. I mean, I graduated, I, I took a little bit of a different path because I'm, I've, I've always been kind of a leader and I've always been one to, once I set my mind to something, I'm going to work my butt off to get to the, the highest level that I, that I can. It has nothing to do with for anybody else. Uh, it's strictly for me. So when I went into culinary school, you know, they were starting a softball team and I and they kept saying, hey, you got to come and play softball with us. And I was like, I have I work two jobs for free. I go to school full time and I bounce at a bar from 10 o'clock until four in the morning, making eight dollars an hour. I don't have time to play softball. But when you guys are done, you're more than welcome to come to the bar where I'm working and come in and have beers, you know. Uh, and, and I knew that when those people were never going to they were never going to be competition to me. You know, it was just something and I kept thinking to myself, "Okay, there's another rung on my ladder that I have to do to get to where I have to go. Um, I made a decision that I was going to go as far south as I possibly could at that point. And I graduated culinary school in December 6th and I was in Key Largo on December 9th. Um, So like I knew what I wanted to do. I got down there. I worked as a sous chef after working at a, uh, you know, at the Four Seasons in Philadelphia, uh, a, a very highly respected uh, traditional French classic kitchen. Um, and, 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 and everything after that was kind of strategic in what I did. I was the chef at a bunch of places. Um, it was something that I, I, I I kept pushing myself to do. I wanted to be the best at what it was that I did. And then it kind of took a little bit of a twist and started to put me on TV, which then gave me a whole nother platform where I could use what I love the most about what I do, which is the education of it. I mean, I love being an educator. My father has three master, had three master's degrees and a doctorate. You know, my mother is highly educated as a nurse. My sister taught autistic kids. And it was like education has always been a part in our family. So for me to be able to share the knowledge that I have is, is a great thing. Somebody once said to me, to keep what you have, you got to give it away and if you think about that a little bit deeper you know for me to keep the knowledge and all the information that i have i've got to share it i want to give it out to people all the all the time and that forces me to go even further with my education
1: one of the, uh, along those same lines one of the things that's always struck me about you is is that you at least come across to, to me as very humble and very level-headed and, and, and kind. And I know that there's a, a stigma at times on the, the industry. Some, I know not every chef is, is Gordon Ramsay, Um, but, uh, but it, you know, there are more, he's not the only one, right. As far as, as far as I know. And so how have you kind of, uh, well, have you had some of those moments? Um, and then how have you elevated yourself to, to stay humble and to, to push forward in a field where a lot of the, you know, it seems like ego and, and you know, self-preservation seems to be really uh, highly, uh, highly seen attributes amongst that, that industry.
3: So I always talk about the fact that no matter how long I've been in the business, I will always have my first 10 years. And my first 10 years, I take now as a learning tool, really. I was not a nice person, you know? I mean, I really just was not a nice person. I, I graduated uh, from school. I left the Four Seasons where, I, you know what, the Four Seasons, I had a chef who walked in and shook my hand and thanked me for being there every day. And then I left there and I went to work at a restaurant in Florida where I worked with a guy who threw potatoes at servers. You know, and I thought, well, well, wait a second here. <laughs> this I, I, was I was I misled? Is this not the way that things are supposed to go? Now I never threw potatoes at servers, but <laughs> but I, I, I threw words. You know, and and I, I was always kind of a a loud guy. I, I realized, you know, many years into it, after almost leaving the industry, that that I needed to let go a little bit, and I needed to let people make mistakes. They had to make their own mistakes rather than me stopping them before they got to the mistake and micromanaging and and being in the kitchen from seven o'clock in the morning until one o'clock in the morning. And I had to allow my staff to develop. I had to give them the tools that they needed. So I talk about my first 10 where I was not a nice person. And, And I still have people that will come up to me and be like, man, you were tough to work for, but I learned stuff from you. Um, no matter what year it was. And then about 15 years ago, I made decision. God, that seems so long ago. But, you know, I made a decision that I was going to back off a little bit. And I wanted to give my staff an opportunity. So I started changing the mindset of what it was working in kitchens when I was there, which is uh, here's your schedule on, you know, here, it's Sunday. Here's your schedule for Monday. Like, how am I supposed to live a life if I'm getting a schedule on a, on, a, on a Monday morning or on a Sunday night at 10 o'clock when I've got to be there at 7 o'clock the next morning? So I started to rearrange the way that I did little things. I started really to try to take care of my staff. Nobody ever closed. If I had a guy who worked on Friday night, he closed, he didn't close on a Saturday night. I try to get my schedules out two weeks in advance so that my staff could live their lives. They could, they could schedule and plan around things. It's not a nine-to-five job. You know, it's not a Monday through Friday, nine to five, where you know, you're going to be, and you're going to be, you're going to meet your buddies at the bar at five 30 on a Friday. It's not the way that it works. So I started to change that. I started to really give my staff the opportunity to empower themselves uh, with, with creating items. We used to run contests and that really just changed everything. Uh, It changed my, my persona in the kitchen. It changed uh, negativity that I had. Um, It changed me taking work home with me. Uh, it really just made for a much lighter and more enjoyable kitchen. And then they put me on bar rescue and I started yelling, yell and scream at people. Like <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's the biggest misconception when I walk into restaurants, you know, I just went into a client's restaurant this weekend in Kansas and I walked in and you can automatically see everybody. They're all kind of standing there and they're not sure what's going to happen. And, and I immediately just show up with a joke, you know, or a sarcastic way. Oh, I guess we decided not to clean today. How about that one? You know, like I try to lighten the, the mood a little bit because I think that people have that chef world of what they think we are. Uh, and then you put me on TV where I did that for a long time. And they're pretty shocked when I walk in and they can learn something.
0: In your, in your journey, Brian, uh, I can only imagine there have to be people as a, a man who's come from Philadelphia, right, and humble beginnings – there have to be people you have met in this journey where you say, wow, right? Like you go to bed that night. Wow. I met X, Y, Z person. Have there been those instances, you know, can you name any of those folks and some of those memories of you met somebody and it just, you know, I have become someone right. Or I've never thought I'd get a chance to interact with this person.
3: You know, I'm not, it's weird. I'm, I'm not like a celebrity guy. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't get, because there's something about being in a kitchen where you're kind of equal in certain parts, especially when it comes into that chef world. So like now when I walk into a kitchen, if there's 10 chefs in there, those 10 chefs and I are all speaking that same language. So I never really got involved in that. Now, if I saw like Jennifer Aniston, I might fleer out a little bit. I've always loved her. I'm not going to lie. Some of the greatest people that I've met that have made a huge impact on me are very dear friends of mine now. A guy named Panini Pete, I know that's a weird name, but he owns a bunch of Panini shops down in, in Alabama. His name's Pete Blom. He is somebody who, who inspires me, just the way that he runs his operation and the way he is with his family and, and, and the, the camaraderie and that relationship that I feel with him. And you know, some of my other buddies, TV guys as well, like Nick Liberato from Bar Rescue and, and Restaurants on the Edge and Chad Rosenthal. Um, I try to surround myself with people who empower other people and who make other people feel good um, and never look down on them. I've met some great celebrity chefs out there, but they're kind of assholes.
0: (laughs) Well, and I think, you know, the message there, especially for some of our younger guys who are just finding their way in life or they're still in colleges the people you surround yourself with, right? They hear us talk about that at times, right? At our leadership yeah. events, or we come and visit their campus and talk about that. But it really is an aspect of life. Who do you surround yourself with? Cause that's who you're going to become <laughs> for for yeah. better or worse. Yeah.
3: I mean, you know, there, there was a period of time where, yeah, I tried to, you know, I, I sought out um, some higher powers, I think in the industry, just as a, I wonder what it's like or something like that. And, and I really just wasn't that interested in them. Um, you know, I, I, I do... A lot of events, but I, but it's kind of fun to be the guy who's in the kitchen. You know, I'd rather be the guy who's in the kitchen at one o'clock in the afternoon for an eight o'clock demonstration than be the guy who's there at 745 for an eight o'clock demonstration and getting angry because everything's not set up. Um, so I try to work in kitchens. I try to work with people. Uh, I'm not the best at replying on social media to people, but I really do try very hard to reply to all the questions because I tell people, ask me a question if you have something and, and I learn what the general public wants to know. And I try to give them my information. So, um, you know, we as leaders and that's who we are. I mean, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to be, be great men here. Uh, We've got to give away the information that we have. It's it's not about ego. It's about really sharing it with other people, and it changes your life that way. You can be you can have a lot of people following you and grabbing at your at your coattails or at your heels, um, but there's something to be said about the, that same group of people that will actually lift you up and put you onto a different a different level. And you did that through being nice and, and educating.
1: I know one of the one of the things that that we talked about a little bit when we talked, I think back in March or April, whenever that was, and we did the cooking for yourself during COVID that yeah. I think at the time we thought would be maybe two or three months. And here we are, we can do a whole new version of that. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned that you, at that point, your your restaurant was was serving first responders and you had kept the operations going, you were doing a lot of carry out. Um, to the broader point there, COVID hit the service industry <laughs> i mean harder than i mean service and hospitality are are the two that just got absolutely filleted by the pandemic and yeah. i know for you and and for a lot of restaurant owners out there it, it was all adversity and so when you think about you know how you bounced back from that or how you took the lemons and made the lemonade or or maybe another professional challenge that you've had Throughout your career, you know, what has been your principle when you hit that adversity and you need to to bounce back or you need to look on the bright side, even when it it doesn't really feel like things are looking too good for you? How have you responded to that adversity
3: throughout your your time as a professional chef? Wow, that's a good question. Um, for me, I I didn't have an option. That was number one. You know, I, I flew home on March 17th from Fort Myers, Florida which I I spend every St. Patrick's day down there uh, and I flew home and and we, we didn't know what was going on. You know, we were, this was, this was, you know, we had heard some weird rumblings through February, you know, January, a little bit of a conversation about this weird thing that was going on, but March 14th, 13, 14, 15, 16, like people were scared and I remembered flying home and I texted my staff And I said, Hey guys, I'll be, I'll be back later this afternoon. Are you guys all okay? And, and one of the responses to me was just hurry up and get back here. Um, and, and I, I got back into the restaurant and I said to everybody who worked there, "Uh, what do you want to do? What do you guys want to do? And they all said, we want to stay open. Two of them did not. My daughter who was, who was 16 at the time, uh, my ex-wife's husband, uh, works uh, in a hospital. So Fiona was like, I can't. I don't know what to do, you know, but we got into it. And within, within seven days, our sales had exploded. You know, I mean, we really, we really just, we doubled into in the first couple of days and, and it was a big thing. Like, okay, we need to get ready for this. And then the next thing, you know, we start hearing about all the restaurants that are closed and that can't have people in and what do we do and how do we handle this? And, and I started to kind of look around that some of my peers And the hustlers are the ones that really started to shine through. Um, We then realized at that point and that there, there was, there were a whole bunch of people out there who didn't have an income. You know I mean? We living, working in a restaurant is, is, is not doing it for financial freedom, boys and girls. I'll let you know that right off the bat. Okay. Very few and very far between are the millionaires that are rolling around serving or cooking in the restaurants. So, uh, At that point, I decided we were going to do something called staff meal, uh, which staff meal for anybody who works in the industry knows that it is it's that time when everybody gets together as a unit. We're all one group. The cooks cook the food for you. We all sit down at a table. We have a conversation. And it's a really nice time before it gets super crazy in the restaurant. So we started a thing called staff meal. At first, we were just giving them away uh, to anybody who came in with a pay stub that showed us they were laid off and ended up being into hospital workers as well. We started feeding hospital workers. And then uh, I, I got a phone call one day that said, I heard you guys are giving meals away to hospitality and, hosp- and first responders and stuff. Can I, can I buy some? So we created a link online that was called staff meal. You clicked on it. It was a $10 meal, but that meal fed three people. So we didn't make any money off of, of staff meal. To me, it was an opportunity just to cover the cost for what we had. Uh, there were a couple of times where one of my purveyors donated two cases of chicken. you know. So we made sure that we put some chicken in there or something like that. And then it turned into, we started to have corporate sponsorship where people would call up and say, I have $500 to spend to feed a hospital. And then we would take a post-it note or 30 of them off of the wall and they would feed 25 or 50 people, whatever it was. And then we would add in an additional 30 meals or something like that. Like um, it, it was, it was, I just felt like it was the only thing that I could do, you know, and, and as, as, as restaurant workers, as hospitality, we are always thinking of ways that we can serve. It's just what we do. It's ingrained in our being. We work New Year's Eve, Mother's day, Father's day, birthdays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, because we're serving that that's what we do so we had to give something back and that to me was the only way that I could do it that's incredible
1: yeah I mean that's no other word than that I I had not heard that story from you and and you know I knew a little bit about what the restaurant was doing but I hadn't heard it from start to finish so appreciate you sharing that and shining some light on on the good
3: things that you and the rest of your staff accomplished throughout the pandemic We had a lot of fun. It was we, we got we kind of got tired of not seeing people. You know, we ended up doing a whole thing called My Way or the Highway, which is a five dollar hamburger that I served. I put a grill in the middle of the street on a Saturday afternoon, literally in the middle of the street on the yellow lines. And I just started grilling burgers out there, five dollars a piece. The first week we sold twenty five and every week after that we sold one hundred. Um, you know, when it was an opportunity for community to get out of the house, come and sit outside, it was March, April, May, June, July, like everybody wanted to get out and nobody knew what to do. So everybody got to my place. They sat in their cars. They sat in their trunks, sat on the hood. They walked down the streets with burgers. You know, they sat at our socially distanced tables, which could you imagine having a group put together and not using the word socially distanced right now? Um, (laughs) So we have to make sure we say that, uh, but uh, you know, I mean, it's, we just, I'm a community guy, man. I, 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 I like having people around me. I, I like having people around
0: me. So when you think about people, humanity, right, Brian, and obviously being in kitchens and restaurants your entire life, you know, what are, what are some of the lessons? And I, I know you've shared a number of them so far in speaking with us, but what are, what are some of the lessons you've learned just about humanity, about people, just being around it every single day?
3: I mean, look, we every uh, being in a kitchen, man. You have every single walk of life, you know. I mean, everything from a kid who's going to college and and you know working on his doctorate to you know a, a woman who's a single mom at home with two kids and just trying to make ends meet to uh, you know people that really want to work in the industry. And so, for me, one of the big things that I learned is that we all have something going on, you know. And and what might be super important to me that day is probably not super important to somebody else, but, but we've got to take care of each other. You know, I mean, being in the, in this industry is, is a, is a big family. People take care of each other, you know, and, and, and for me, that was one of the first things is that there's a, there's a diverse group of people that are out there in this world. A lot of us grow up in our neighborhoods. We stay within our bubble. We stay within our comfort zone. Um, I think being in a kitchen and travel for me, has, is the greatest book that I've ever read. Um, you know, I mean, I couldn't imagine not, I couldn't imagine not traveling. I couldn't imagine not meeting different cooks or chefs every single day. Um, and the other thing that I've really learned is that there's nothing wrong with asking a question. You know, I think people see a question as a, as a, as a sign of weakness, whereas for me, a question is a sign of, of empowerment. I want to know, I want to know all about you. Tell me everything you know tell me how you run your kitchen because that might sway or change the way that i do something cuz it might sound like a better idea so Absolutely. if you're out there and you're in that workforce and you're and you're you're doing it ask questions across the board and if you're working for somebody who is not willing to give you answers or or help for you to grow then you're in the wrong place yeah run yeah. run get out yeah well, Brian,
1: the uh, appreciate the insight and and answering some of these questions, and, and I know we. We talked about this when we talked last week and at the beginning today, but uh, for all the time that we've spent together virtually or in person at the RLCs or a conclave, we've never really had a conversation about your beginnings and how you found the fraternity and and your career. So uh, the the opportunity to do so is is really appreciated. I would be remiss if I did not ask for the the man who uh, always seems to have 17 irons in the fire, Uh, if you have anything (laughs) coming up
3: here soon that you wanted to, to share with the group. So nothing that that I can name publicly. Oh, okay. I uh, see. I see. But I have uh I have uh I'm looking at three properties right now. Um one in upstate New York on Long, or one in Long Island, uh two in the Philadelphia area, and then I have a startup that goes live uh with my brothers in March. Um and I have my podcast is coming back out in the next couple of weeks. Uh and I'm still doing consulting. I just took on uh, two new clients, which I haven't done in a long time. Uh, I really was focusing on my own stuff. And um, I want to I wanna help some other people right now, uh, you know, with whatever we can to help them to be successful during this time. So, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. Very cool. And traveling. Travel, yeah. Well, best we can. Well, well I mean, I'm, I've, I've, I've traveled. <laughs> yeah. During a lot of this, I mean, I got to spend some time out in Montana uh, I did some mountain biking out there. I did a bunch of hiking through uh, Wyoming, and uh, I'm heading back out to Montana in a little while. I'm going back out to Washington. I just got back from Kansas. So um, nice. yeah, I, I've spent a lot of time getting tested.
0: Well, but it sounds like sounds like uh, the, the embodiment of the word for the last twenty minutes has been hustle, right? These yeah. folks who see entrepreneurs or folks like yourself who become a celebrity chef, You think about, oh, I bet he's, you know, he's got a nice cushy lifestyle, but no, the hustle, right? The hustle doesn't end right every single day, every day up and grinding and getting yourself in more projects.
3: Yeah. Every single day. I mean, it's, it's always something, you know, I just got off the phone with a lobster guy who wants to do some stuff with me. And uh, this morning I had a conversation with a meat company, Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of never ending. And for me, it's, it's not just opportunities, whether it be to get a paycheck um, but it's opportunities for, for education, because I'm constantly trying to see what is going on. What do people want? What are, what are they eating? What are they looking for? Um, and, you know, I mean, I would say the day you stop learning is the day you die. So, yeah.
1: Well, can't thank bit, you yeah. enough for for taking the time and, and finding the time to chat today. Um,
3: a lot of fun. talk about the beard. What's that? We didn't even get a chance to talk. Oh, about that's, I, that was
1: that was pre that was pre recording. Uh, yeah, exactly. That was going to be in a beard podcast uh, that's coming out here soon. Uh, any, <laughs> just should I just drop that and, and walk away or?
3: You could drop it and walk away. We're good. <laughs> so
1: for those for those beard connoisseurs out there, uh, you know, if you have a favorite beard podcast, there's a good yeah. chance that that Brian's going to be on there soon.
3: Yeah, exactly. I, I now own a beard flat iron, so I'm fully committed to this.
1: <laughs> that is that is full send, as the uh, as the students these days say, yeah. I believe.
3: Full send. There you go. <laughs> All
1: right, man. Well, I uh, I appreciate it. We'll talk soon, uh, and uh, you know, as always, let us know if, if you need anything from from Teak headquarters. Thanks, Brian. I Thanks, will. Brian. Thank appreciate you guys very you. much for having me
3: on, and uh, take care, guys. Bye bye. Yes, sir. Appreciate you.
1: And a big thank you once again to Froder Duffy for his time. Looking forward to seeing him moving forward in a number of capacities on television and at Teak events and and all over the place. Um, Check him out on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, very active there as well. So uh, always fun to, to have him as a part of this show and hopefully won't be the last time. Maybe he can be our first recurring guest down the road, something to maybe build toward.
0: Hey, I know people would enjoy hearing some of his cooking tips on, on the regular. So uh, well, excited. I, give you my cooking tips, if you really. Right. I understand that you have this ongoing uh, duel with Froder Duffy and, and you in some ways want to live the life of Froder Duffy, but yes, I would love to have him on regularly to continue to give us some tips and for amateur chefs like myself, and even for professional chefs, like chefs like yourself. Well, I, I
1: you know, I, I would, Counter back that I I do already have a job. So I'm not interested in in that life that that Duffy's leading. But you know, maybe when I retire, maybe that'll be a nice little pet project for me. All right. That is our time for today. Appreciate you all joining us, coming along for the ride, looking forward to a, a bright, fun year of, of podcasting with myself and and Donnie. And once again, if you have suggestions, tips feedback, thoughts, potential guests, you know, reach out to us on email or, or Twitter or Facebook, wh- whatever that medium is that you choose to engage. We want to hear from you and we want to make sure that you all feel uh, engaged and supported throughout this podcast. Any closing thoughts, Froder Aldrich?
0: Excited about where it can go. You talked about it. We need your engagement. Let us know, show topics, What you what you like, what you don't like. If there's segments you want us to consider, segments you want us to improve, you know, we're open to it and we're humble enough to know that we're we got to continue to evolve this thing and, and make it even better for all of you but excited for you to enjoy the podcast please share it with others broadcast it out and engage with us on our social media channels
1: smash that like button all right thank you all we'll talk to you next week